on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, called butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. I was just so much stressed during the week that I'd gone through that um, it really hit me in the game. I remember going a small bit dizzy in the game and, and I was like, I'm not right here, you know. It's just really that anxiety had all built up and, you know, they find your system, you know, start saying, I hope you all die of COVID and hope you all, like on the back of obviously my father's obituary and saying, I hope you die too. And uh, so it was, it was tough. Somebody once said to me, if you're on there, you take the bad with the good. And how do you then draw the line if your family are on there? You know, do you now say to your family, you can't be on there because I'm a referee? And that, that, that's a really difficult one then. Hello and welcome to The Left Wing. I'm Sinead Kassan. Now in the countdown to the opening weekend of the Six Nations, we caught up with referee Andrew Brace. Andrew has been refereeing for the last decade. He grew up in Cardiff and has been living in Limerick for the past 13 years. And in this Six Nations, he'll referee Scotland against Wales in Murrayfield in round two, which will actually have an all RFU match official lineup for the first time in 20 years. It's a good time to talk to a referee because there's been a lot of debate around issues like the officiating of the high tackle recently. So we get into that with Andrew and he also talks about the other hot issues that referees will be looking out for in this championship. Andrew also goes into the horrific social media abuse that he and his family were subjected to in the past and the impact of that on him. And this Six Nations is also a big one for referees because they too want to make the cut for the World Cup later this year. Have a listen. It's quite a journey. Sinead, I obviously, as you alluded to, born in Cardiff, um, moved to, to Plymouth, actually three years in university down in Plymouth, uh, studied my sports science and coaching degree down there. Um, and then I was very lucky then to be set up in, in Ireland um, nearly 15 years ago now. Um, landed on my feet working with Munster Rugby as a, as a coach development officer. And um, yeah, playing. I knew, like, yeah, I knew I was probably never going to make it as a professional rugby player. And um, uh, yeah, the coaching side of things really interested me. As, as I said, I did my degree in, in coaching and sports science and um, did a bit of work with Cardiff Blues as a community rugby officer. Um, so yeah, I was really landed to to go into that field uh, with Monster Rugby and and then playing with uh, with Old Crescent. So um, yeah, it's been it's been a great journey. Um, I never thought I'd be going into refereeing if you said said it to me 15 years ago. But it's strange how one door shuts and another opens. I guess. Yeah, and you played for Belgium before. And that's a, another country, yeah. So it's quite the mix, I know. Um, 
so yeah, my father's side are Belgian, so um, that's how I. Uh, um, they probably got the short straw <laughs> side of me with Belgium, so I went over to trial with them and um, was very lucky. Went over to to Dubai, played in the Emirates All Nations Cup there. Um, so yeah, got the got the five caps for Belgium and played three games over there. And then you played in this um, second tier of Six Nations. You'd you'd probably know the one B, which was. Uh, the one tier down, Georgia's, the Romania's, Spain's, Portugal's, Belgium. So, um, yeah, it was great. It, great games. That's obviously the next uh, next step to, to the Six Nations. So, um, but it was kind of that year uh, when I went into into referee and I just kind of lost the the motivation to play. Kept getting setbacks and injuries and, um, yeah, saw this as, a, as another avenue to stay in the game. I'm sure you're asked this quite a lot, but... Why would anyone want to be a referee? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it ain't uh, getting any easier. Um, yeah, one would argue against this, but it's the next best seat in the house for me. And um, yeah, just privileged to obviously be in a position involved in a pro game, which, as I mentioned, I never made it as a professional rugby player. Um, but all, all, always wanted to to kind of be involved in in some position in the professional game and. Um, obviously I played and then I coached and, and I did, it did kind of come to my mind at some stage, I oh, maybe give the referee in a go. And I did the referee courses back in, in Wales when I was, um, working with the Cardiff Blues. So with Nigel Owens did the courses there. So it was something that another avenue that I potentially could see myself going down, but never thought it would be so soon. I, I was 24 at the time working with Munster, still very young, um, and uh, yeah, it was Johnny Lacey, who was obviously my colleague in Munster Rugby. And um, yeah, a lot of the referees were in that office. So you had Ollie Hodges and, and Peter Fitzgibbon and, and Johnny himself. And um, I used to have to listen to them every Monday morning coming in after an All-Island League game. And they, they'd have to listen to me giving out by the referees every Monday morning. So I guess, uh, yeah, put the whistle where your mouth is. The rest is history after that. You said there it's not getting any easier. Is the pressure becoming greater on referees? Yeah, it is. Um, obviously, we've, we see the, the media pressures, social media pressures now. Um, I guess everybody has an opinion now in the game, don't they? Um, and, I, and I think where we are now with obviously the new global law trials and the more technology we introduce, um, everybody expects or that expectation levels is, is rises. So I think everybody expects that perfect decision and there's no such thing in the game. Um, our game is very gray. Um, it's not black and white and there's a lot of decisions that are, as we all know, are up to interpretation. And I think that's the biggest challenge we have as referees is to, to get that alignment, um, that consistency across the group, um, and not only the group of referees here within the union and tournaments, but then across the board, you know. So you have up the north, you have obviously the URC, the Premiership, and the top fourteen in the professional leagues, and then the same in the, in the south in Super Rugby. And it's getting that alignment is is the biggest challenge, uh, and it always will be. Um, I think. Like I was on a recent uh, high tackle um, or head contact process uh, calibration meeting recently, where we had all the uh, the stakeholders within the within the game. Um, you know, the top uh, top players, coaches, medics, disciplinary, judiciary, sighting referees, and you'd be amazed, Sinead, um, just to sit when you put up a, a, a clip for 
for debate or and we discussed that that decision you'd be amazed to see the difference of opinions between some people would be on play on but all the way up to red card and um when we have that disconnect between play on and a red card that's an issue but if you have a one click out between yellow and red card for a high tackle then um then I think that's that's okay, provided you've explained it well enough that people can follow um, that decision. Um, but the key is then, as I said, is to get that alignment across the board between referees. Yeah, and let's go into it then, because obviously, and look, we can't get in, into any specific incidents or players here just to maintain your integrity as a referee. But there has been a lot of confusion, consternation about the high tackle, and, and I suppose the mixed mixed messages from officials across various competitions on how this is being refereed and dealt with, and just a lot of grey area. And I think most people just want consistency in how it's being refereed so that the game will become safer and that will change player behaviour. So. As on the eve of this Six Nations now, what can we expect from officiating on the high tackle? Yeah, so I think like the first and foremost is like, the message is clear from World Rugby and they want us to continue to be strong around this area. This is um, the number one area and safety is paramount. So we have to protect the players and any head high contact has to be dealt with, provided there is foul play. And the reason I say that is... Where we were four years ago at a Rugby World Cup, Sinead, is um, you, we were in a high tackle framework where, it, where where our hands were tied. So any head high contact, we're straight away adjudicating on foul play, which might not necessarily have been the case. Um, so there might not have been any fault to that player. So there might have been a player that has fallen significantly, he's on his knees, as an example. Um, and he or she is is bent at the waist, making a genuine attempt to make a legal tackle, and that player has just fallen into into that space. So I think you probably we would have seen one recently in the Manu Tuilangi tackle with in the in the Premiership, um, and Wayne Barnes adjudicated that there was no foul play. And I think that's the shift where we where we were four years ago. We would be adjudicating on foul play because we had head high contact. Um, where we are now, we're in a process, a head contact process that we can follow that system but it doesn't it doesn't put us into um down a path where our hands are tied straight away we're adjudicating on foul play we have to weigh up the first question has there been head high contact and if there has has there been foul play um and that's why you see some um some referees now will will communicate that way and explain that um yes there has been head high contact but um that player was making a genuine attempt to make a legal tackle. That player's fallen into his space. Uh, there's no fault. It's completely unavoidable. So you, you might have heard that. And and of course, that will raise uh, debate because a lot of people then will say, well, no, for me, that's clear foul play. And that's our game and that's okay. But I think we have to be action focused, not outcome focused. And I think that's really, really key for us now. As, and um, it's so important that we are, that we don't just adjudicate on the outcome. That is very relevant, but we have to we have to referee the action. And if the action is always illegal or deemed highly reckless or an intentional act of foul play, well then, as we, as you know, within the head high contact process, then there's no mitigation that can be applied there um, because it's highly that action is deemed highly reckless or an intentional act of foul play. So. Um, so that's where we where we're at, um, and that has been a shift. And and just because I think it's worth noting that 
just because we haven't got head contact doesn't necessarily mean that there's no foul play either. And we've seen in the past certain uh, situations where a player's just come into a breakdown situation, completely reckless, out of control, tucked the arm, but hasn't made head high contact, but come down on a, on a vulnerable player over a ball at the top of the back neck area, which is still highly dangerous. And we have to be strong on that as a group of referees that could still warrant a red card. So just because it hasn't been head contact, it can still um, result in a red card and vice versa. So I think that's the the shift where we are, which is really nice now that doesn't put us <laughs> into a down a down a path of just um, uh, of saying straight away as foul play because there was head contact. We can now apply that good judgment to law and common sense um, approach, and that sometimes then. The, um, you will see inconsistencies between referees and that's probably where, where we are. And as I said, that's our biggest challenge. Yeah, is that frustrating for you as a referee when you you even, it's frustrating for those of us watching, is it frustrating for you when you see inconsistencies by fellow referees? Yeah, I, I guess the, the the key is is how you explain it, Sinead. We always, we always say like the words we use has to match the picture. So... If I've said that he's made a genuine attempt to make a legal tackle, but quite clearly that's not accurate because the arm's in a tough position, well, then that's not factually accurate. And then you're going to open yourself up to criticism. So I think I think as long as a referee explains it, he or she explains it well enough for me to follow, then, then that's their, that they've explained it. They've gone through the process accurately. They've addressed all the facts. Well, then... You can't argue with those facts because that's the way somebody, what one person could see it and then another person could see it differently. But provided you've you've stuck to the facts and and then then the outcome should necessarily or should really look after itself after that. Yeah, and would this have been? I believe that you know players like broadcasters, all these people involved in Six Nations you know, are kind of told about the hot topics that referees will be looking out for in this Six Nations. That's obviously one of them. Yeah, it would be. As I said, it's, it's number one on, on the list. As I said, safety is paramount. And we're seeing, obviously, this area of the game is is a hot topic and um, and it will always be up to interpretation. As I said, in that recent calibration meeting that we had, um, you're going to have difference of opinions. And that's okay, I think, um, provided we have that consistent approach that you've You've applied the, the the facts and you've you've gone through the right checklist and I and I and I say that with a with a health warning. It shouldn't be oh you start here and you end up here. Um, it's it's just a it's just a guideline, a decision to our decision making process. So if I see it as foul play and I've given the reasons of why I feel that's foul play, somebody else could say no, I don't feel that that's um, foul play. I, I believe he's well in control of his actions and, and, and arrive at a different decision. But as I said at the start, you, yes, that will be up to um, interpretation, but as provided you've accurately explained what you've seen, then the outcome should look after itself. And what are the other kind of topics that, you, you know, that you'd be particularly hot on in the Six Nations? Obviously, we've seen... Um, yeah, like World Rugby's focus area is around speeding up the game. Um, so the recent Shape of the Game conference in November, where again all the all the coaches and and, and referees came together, um, and, and a few players were involved in that conference. That um, w- a lot of ways were discussed um, of speeding up the game and reducing those unnecessary stoppages and ensuring that we still have that safe spectacle for 
was created for the players and match officials and spectators alike. So as we near, obviously, the tournament, the biggest tournament this year and, and nine months away from a Rugby World Cup, we I think that going into this window of Six Nations now is our last window um, really to fine-tune those areas of what we want to see, what, what game we want to see going into World Cup. Um, and these focus areas um, ensure we retain that safe, speedy spectacle of, of of rugby that we all want to see in the in the Rugby World Cup in 2023 um, at the end of the year. So, um, so yeah, some of the areas, so obviously any negative player action, so like players on the floors, so those first arriving players competing for the ball, we, we don't want any negative action, so taking the space beyond the ball to go back on the ball. Um, and it's a really difficult area. I had, I had one on the week um, a few weekends ago, and uh, that Rassin Harlequins game, and um, where a player did have one hand on the ball, but on my side of the rock, on the other side of the tackle, I see one hand on the ball. So, and it's really, really difficult to to kind of get that full picture. And I also see the Jackala first arriving player supporting their weight uh, and in a good, strong position. Balance of strength was with that player. Um, but then if we really want to get technical, he has a hand on the floor. So what game do we want to see? So I think we, I'm not saying that any hand on the floor is immediately a penalty because we cannot referee that way and we won't be consistent in that way. But if a player is off his feet by using his hands or her hands um, to support their weight, well, then, um, then we need to outlaw this and we need to be strong on any action like that. So, um other actions then like obviously players trapping that that player back in so the tacklers fall on the wrong side i think we've been really strong on that of late and and it's and it's resulted in a much quicker game which everybody wants to see so we cannot kind of let up on that um so if a player falls wrong side sometimes spectators and, and commentators will say oh that's really harsh you can't do anything to get out of there but um our our philosophy around that is if fall wrong side well then you kind of suffer the consequences however if that player is being trapped in or pulled back in and make whilst that tackler is making a genuine attempt to get to get out of there well then we need to penalize that action because it's a clear negative action to try and buy the penalty um and then yeah a couple of areas like the water um intervention that we we saw of late um that probably ended up resulting in slowing the game down even more and i think we all have a responsibility there to, as referees, are not calling a water break um, immediately after a conversion is taken, for example, because they've just had water. They can have water at the at the sideline or behind the sticks. Or as Johnny Sexton said in the game, we don't need a water ba- break there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's minus five outside. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we just got to use our common sense around that. And um, um, but yeah, so if there's no tries. Uh, that have been scored, uh, I think it's up to 15 to 20 minutes, then um, then water, natural stoppage to be used then to, and a four, four or five would, would monitor that and communicate that in them for water to be carried on. But I, I don't want, I certainly don't want to be stopping a game, Sinead, um, if there's a good flow to the game and, 
and teams are trying to use that or utilize that as a stoppage to try and kill the momentum in the game. And we need to be strong on that as officials. Okay. So in this Six Nations, you'll be refereeing the Scotland-Wales game in Murrayfield in round two. You'll be assistant ref for Wales against England in Cardiff in round three and assistant ref uh, for France against Wales in Paris in round five. For referees, is it kind of like, you know, a player waiting to see if they'll make the cut? You know, are you anxiously waiting to see what games you're going to get in the Six Nations? Oh, for sure. Uh, it's like, it's, it's a special year, as I mentioned earlier. It's like leading into a massive year for all of us. Um we're nine months out from a Rugby World Cup and um, and it's a really important window for us as officials. We, um, w- we've we just got together recently in the last week um, before the Six Nations starts this week. So we, we were all in Lensbury for four days. So we will fitness test there and go through all the technical areas that I've just uh, I've alluded to or mentioned. And um, they're the kind of focus areas that we, to try and get that alignment that we will all be, working off the same hymn sheet going into Six Nations. And and as I said, this is a really important window because it's the last window before Rugby World Cup selection. Um, and we all want that seat on the plane. And, and um, yeah, so a lot of preparation goes into that from from our end. And, yeah, we like 12 referees are going to be selected after this window. And, and uh, yeah, so it's a really important time um, uh, for us to really put our, our our hand forward there for this last game, so so really competitive is it as well between referees? It is, yeah, but I think it's good. I, it's a really tight group that we have. Um, we're all competitive. Obviously, we all want the big games, but I think I think that is my downfall of, uh, in the past, where I always looked at oh, what games am I going to get. I was probably looking at the appointments for, um, rather than looking at my performance. But the performance, if you perform, then you're going to the selection should look after itself. Um, so it's just being that performance focused versus selection focused. And um, I guess it's the same as a player, really, isn't it? You, you all want to be involved in the big games. But um, if you perform consistently well, then, as I said, selection will look after itself. How self-critical are you uh, as a referee? Are there times you come off and you're like, you know, <laughs> regrets or what's that like for you? Yeah, very much so. Sinead. I, I, look, we... As I always mention, and you probably uh, you hear all the time, if you're not talking about a referee after a game, well, then you've had a great game. Um, um, that's getting rare and rare now because there's so many uh, decisions that people can get a snapshot of a decision put up on social media, it goes viral, and then your whole performance is stripped apart. So, um, look, the, the biggest thing for us is we're never going to get everything right and we're never going to get every single decision accurately, and that's fine. I, I really... Um, strive to to kind of just get those big decisions accurate um, because at the end of the day if I get those big decisions right well then the smaller things the technical stuff doesn't matter as much if I've nailed those big moments but if I haven't nailed those big moments well then all the technical areas the scrum the uh, the tackle area the decisions around those other areas in the game now matter because your whole performance is is now stripped apart so it is um it is important for us like i come off a pitch and and it's it is very easy to just go back to the hotel get your laptop up go <laughs> download the game and and then you look oh did i get those big decisions right i like we we all want to ensure that we've got those big moments right because that's as i said that's what you're judged on at the end of the day and, and to be consistent on that yeah um, but yeah I, I think like as i mentioned 
I don't want my team th- feeling that they have to get absolutely everything and anything right because then we start chasing the wrong things um, and then you end up being in the spotlight or under the spotlight a lot more than you'd want um, because you're trying to chase that perfect performance. Um, so I don't want my team, my system refs and TMO chasing the perfect decision every time. Um, I want that. I want to allow those decisions to come to us. So if the whole world is talking about it, um, and the replays are being shown and, and everybody at home, I, I try and put myself in that on that, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, if I've had a weekend off and I'm having a beer, watching a match that if I'm seeing it, then that's what we need to get then. Um, and if we have, if we're not, well, then we need to ask ourselves, why are we not getting them? Yeah, I mean, there's the spotlight on referees and then there's the, can be some horrific um, social media abuse as well. Um in December 2020, you were stood down from the Toulouse-Exeter Champions Cup game in France after the online abuse you got after you refereed England's Autumn Nations Cup game, uh, their win over France the previous month, and you were reassigned to the Wasps-Montpellier game. C- can you describe what that time was like for you? Yeah, it was it was a tough, tough year for me, um, Sinead, in more ways than one. Like I, like, I lost my father that year, so it was, um, it was like after the elation of getting my first Six Nations uh, I did uh, France, Italy. My my father, like he was, he was my best friend. You know, he was, I always lean on him from a communication perspective as a referee. And um, like three weeks after I got the news of doing that game, my first Six Nations, he had organised all the family to come over, and and then um, yeah, try, uh, suddenly passed, and 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 that was a tough, obviously, few weeks for me because then I'm in the position of right, do I do this game or not? And and when I kind of took that month to like nothing can prepare you for that but when I took the month to actually try and um, digest everything that's happened and your whole world's turned upside down and then my family saying well he would have wanted you to do have done the game and when I said right let's do this game and thankfully it came through that game well that I, I didn't really look back then and a COVID then hit and I got a lot of opportunities after when we returned so I, I did the URC final then the U- challenge final and then I was lucky to get the Autumn Nations Cup final. So a lot of big games came at me very quickly in that, that year. Um, and I was performing well. And then I obviously hit the France, England-France game. Um, and I didn't perform well. And I know I didn't. And we weren't good enough on the day as a team. And and, um, and uh, I, I very rarely post stuff on social media. I was on Twitter at the time. And I, I posted my dad's obituary. Um, so my dad was... He was a, a teacher in his in his field, and he was a general teaching uh, counsel for Wales. He's a chief executive, so I I put up his. He did a lot of work for UNESCO, and I put his uh, obituary up on my on my Twitter. And um, obviously, the game didn't go well, and and then I had a load of uh, of abuse. So obviously, that was the last post that I had uh, tweeted, and they jumped on the back of that. Which, look, I think we're all in a as referees, we can all take criticism. We wouldn't be in this job if we couldn't, but. The problem is, is when it goes past that line then of becoming abuse and, you know, when they start finding your family then and your sister and your, and your mother and partner and start sending them death threats and that that becomes really, really tough to take then. Um, it's, it was a hard, it was a hard thing to take for me. And, um, but the problem is, is <laughs> there's no regulation on social media now, you know, you can post whatever you want without any repercussions and people get so emotional around the game and we're all guilty of it from time to time but I think people don't really think before they they post a comment and then 
obviously when I received those messages and my family received those messages, it, like it, it really hits you, you know, it's like, you think you're strong enough to deal with, with that side of things. And it, it's only when it hits you that, uh, that they really kind of hit you deep. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it was a tough few months for me, but the following week, then we were straight back into Europe and, um, and I obviously had a, another massive game in Toulouse Exeter. Um, and there was a huge game at the time in, in Europe. Uh, and I remember speaking to Joel in, in, who was the head of European rugby at the time and said, like, I think it's wise that we just change it into a different game. Um, and I did Bristol Clermont then the following week it was. And it was just a really nice game to do. A very different game. It was no pressure, not as much pressure on that game. And two attacking DNA teams. Um, but I just remember going in that game and like, it was just so much stress during the week that I'd gone through that um, it really hit me in the game. I remember going a small bit dizzy in the game and, and I was like, I'm not right here. You know, it was just really that anxiety had all built up. And, um, and it's only when, as I said, when it hits you that, 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 that then you realize that, yeah, that's something, something really bad has happened obviously in the last few weeks. But, um, but it was for me. It was very cathartic that I could just move on and put that behind me after doing the second England France game in Six Nations. Um, Joel gave me that opportunity because he'd moved into world rugby position then, um, and so to, I remember Jakob Piper was down to do the game originally. He couldn't travel up because of um, because of COVID, and and I, I got put into that game then straight after. Obviously, everything that happened two or three months prior to the Autumn Nations final and. Um, yeah, it was just uh, it was great to just come come out of that game unscathed and nobody talking about you for. But it was a lot of pressure because you know you, you're thinking, "Oh, is my career on the line here or not?" So yeah, it was a, it was a tough year for sure. Yeah, no, of course. Um, death threats to your family, Andrew. Like, yeah, yes, yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty deep, you know. And obviously, they, you know, they find your sister. And, you know, start saying, oh, I hope you all die of COVID and hope you're like on the back of obviously my father's obituary and saying, I hope you die too. And uh, so it was, it was tough, you know, it's not nice to, to read them, but like, I don't remember somebody once said to me is you, if you're on there, you take the bad with the good. And that's kind of, you can, some people can agree to that. Yeah. But I, how do you then draw the line if your family are on there? You know, do you now say to your family, you can't be on there because I'm a referee? And that, that, that's it's a really difficult one then. Um, you know, like I thought long and hard about speaking up about it for for a long time. But but then that does that, because that, does that just fuel the fire? But then does that make it right? You know, does that make it normal for us to just sit back and take it? I think um, a lot can be done for, for sure to regulate social media channels and did you report that did you go to the police but as you say it's it's hard to regulate which shouldn't be the case yeah I, like i'm just one example Sinead, of um of many as we've seen of late um, with referees and i'm sure every referee can give you their own story of of abuse along the uh, over the years and i'm sure players and coaches will give you the same as well it's um I guess that's kind of where the world has gone now in society and social media. But um, I did report it. Yeah, I did report many, but you can't, you know, when you've got over 2,000 plus messages and uh, it's very difficult to report them all. So, yeah. Was there any point during that, like that horrific time where you thought this is not worth it? Yeah, you do. You, you do question. You do question it more to the point of, okay, the health of your family really, isn't it? It's, you're in a position that, 
um and, and don't get me wrong like there's this, some amazing uh, uh some amazing perks that refereeing has, has given us and um you know i wouldn't have visited half the countries that i visited and uh got to visit i've been very privileged to be in this position and um but yeah this is obviously the dark side to it and if a game doesn't go well and um and and, and it ends up leading to to, to situations like this. Um, yeah, it is tough. And I suppose we saw the incident recently as well with uh, Wayne Barnes and his family as well. Yeah, yeah. As I said, that's it's just another another example. And yeah, I think f- for us, I think we, we all have to be very careful of what we want our game to become. Isn't it? We all have a great responsibility to uphold the values of our game. And, um, and that's why I said that but people people need to think before they they comment or, or tweet because it's massive uh, massive uh, repercussions that can that can come off the back of it so yeah and last month the international rugby match officials was launched and you know you kind of think like there should have been something there for 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 referees before that so that was established with the support of world rugby to kind of pr- promote and protect the interests of match officials you, is something like this will something like this help you yeah it's it's great Sinead, to finally announce obviously this much needed support pillar, uh, pillar for us um for the first time now, we'll have a collective voice and um, and support mechanism for for the international referees and and TMOs across the game. So the establishment of Irmo will will act as a key representative body for us now within World Rugby. So decision making structures across um, a wide range of areas, from law review uh, committees to to individual performances, to to, to physical, mental well being of us as, as officials. But also, whilst upholding the core values that are central to the to the game's growth, um, like it's all geared for us towards promoting, developing, and, and and also inspiring not only the current group of referees, but more importantly, the next generation of match officials. Because um, I think it's it's really important that we we create that that platform for us all to have that voice, and and also that. We we open it up to, to to referees to yeah refereeing is a good um, another avenue to to get in, involved in the game and stay in the game. Yeah, of course. And just going back to the Six Nations, I suppose one of the things that Eve to do as a referee is meet the man, you know, the the head coaches or whatever. Is it is it the eve of the game? Yeah. So so that's slightly changed for this window for Six Nations because in the World Cup it's just not feasible to because there's so many games. Um, I think every other day, isn't there, or some 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 back to back days. So it's not feasible to meet the coaches and have those meetings like we've done in the past. So we're just kind of trialing that that no meeting with a coach, but we still can meet the scrum coach in the week, and 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 coaches can still have that um, uh, raise any issues that they may have just around um, maybe trends that the opposition have, or they want to raise certain areas with us uh, to look out for. Um, so yeah, so the cutoff period in the past was forty-eight hours before kickoff, um, but now we can we can still have that uh, contact with a scrum coach. So you can still look at um, you can have that call with the scrum coach, and he, he can raise issues that they may have or concerns that they may have uh, with the opposition, and and we can also use it um, ourselves. You know, I think it's important that like we can use it in a way that. Um, we can raise any issues or concerns that we have on 
um, on teams. And I think that's important that we're all aligned and um, so we get the, the best product in, in the game. Um, but we, we do have Mike Cron, uh, you might may know Scrum coach with the All Blacks he was, and then um, Alex Corbisero was working with us as their Scrum consultant. So, um, so they have regular meetings with the Scrum coaches um, and we've seen a, a huge improvement um, to Scrum outcomes and, and accuracy as well within officiating um, over the last couple of years since we've started those meetings, which has been great and invaluable for us in our, in our performance reviews. Um, so they would code all, all the scrums that we had in the game and, um, and like an accuracy report, but also give comments then on, on why that was a, an incorrect penalty or why that was a correct penalty or why it was a reset um, which I think is, is, as I said, invaluable for us to, to, to hear that and receive that feedback from the experts. Yeah, of course. And, you know, you have to maintain neutrality, obviously. But we hear sometimes head coaches on the week of a game uh, that they might say something and everyone else picks it up as, oh, they're trying to get inside the referee's head. How much media do you read and has anyone got inside your head? <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess based on that, on our discussions around the media, I, look, I don't go on it if I'm leading into a big match week. Um, I think if you want to go finding stuff, you'll find it and guarantee you as a referee. Um, so for me, I don't. I, I try and stay away from it. Um, I, as I said, coaches will send their usual pre-match clips around areas of focus or they want us to be aware of particular trends. Uh, and the opposition and, and this but as I said it's also an opportunity for us to air our concerns um, around any trends but I try and stay away from that because as I said you're just gonna you're gonna find stuff if you really want to go looking for it and actually yeah so I was kind of talking about traditional media there but in terms of even social media and as you said you're on social media like like anyone after something big you know have there been times where you were like I am not I am not going on it and have there been times where you know you've relented and and obviously messages come directly to you as well yeah I think like well it was actually one of my first tier one tier one match Wales Argentina I did in Argentina about what was it 2018 and I never forget it because obviously first time a ref in Wales and obviously born in Cardiff and and it all blew up in the media that I think the headlines were Welsh referee refs Wales, and and it was a tough week because I, you know, that started going viral. Um, but I'm, I, I work for the IRFU, and I'm there. I'm here to do a job, and the IRFU, IRFU have been excellent to me, and um, and given me these opportunities, obviously to to referee and uh, and a career in in the professional game. I'm very privileged. But yeah, when I went into that game, I was like, oh well. How is this going to look? You know, Argentina thinking I'm Welsh and then Welsh thinking I'm going to be over-biased towards them or, or seen not to be biased, I guess. And uh, yeah, thankfully I came out of that game well and, and not talking about me. But yeah, sometimes you go in and it's different now because I've refed Wales a, a couple of times since then. Wales, Italy, Wales, Scotland. I'm doing Scotland, Wales now. And um, I think people understand that now, you know. There's, there's a lot of referees and players alike that, they could be necessarily born in one particular country and now playing or refereeing in a different union. So, and we see that a lot more now. Hmm. And just finally, if there was one uh, law or rule you'd like to see trialed that isn't there already, uh, do you have anyone in mind? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, yeah, so a particular area trend that we're probably seeing a lot more now is the player over the over the rock. Uh, trying to disrupt the the nine um, 
playing the hand or the ball or the nine. Um, so found a lot of players and teams and coaches have found that loophole within the laws. So um, so a player can go over the rock provided they stay on their feet and pull the arm um, uh, or the ball provided the ball's gone backwards. So there's a lot of kind of gray area, gray areas around that that particular law, because what we're seeing now is this kind of negative trend, common trend um, at present, where players are just slapping the arm or the ball backwards. And I guess we go back to well, what area do we want, or what, what game do we want to see? And, and if this is an area we can easily tidy up, tidy up, well then I think I think we can do that by by looking at that area by like a fi- uh, an easy law fix um, post-World Cup, which will, won't happen now. But even just bringing in a directive that you, you must stay on your feet, can't lean on the rock, which you can't do now anyway. But if the ball's emerging, that you can't do anything to disrupt that nine. So um, the other other area for me, I, think we, I remember there was that signal to the nine to put the ball into the scrum. And now we then we took it away. Yeah. Um, so that kind of puts it into the, refer- into the nine's uh, hands of when to put the ball in so sometimes that's probably led to more instability issues whereas we control the stability and tell the nine to put the ball in when we we were happy that the scrum was stable so and that can be difficult to control when you're on the other side to the scrum of the nine if you're in if you're on the putting inside it's easy you just stand in front of them um, and you can still control it but I, I yeah I don't know why we took that that law away but <laughs> What was your former position? Were you former scrum half? I was a scrum half, so I'm I'm preaching to the to the crowd, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, World Rugby will be listening. Andrew, uh, thank you very much for joining us on The Left Wing and the very best of luck to you in the Six Nations. Thanks so much, Anna. Thanks for having me. So thanks again to Andrew Brace for joining us. Uh, Will and Luke will be here on Wednesday to continue our build-up to the opening weekend of the Six Nations. Rory O'Connor and myself will be back on Thursday. Rory will be joining us from the Algarve on Andy Farrell's team announcement. I'll be at the Vale of Glamorgan Hotel in Wales, so we'll try and have it all covered for you this week. Bye for now.